Well, it's good to be with all of you uh, this evening. My name is Joseph Bianco, assistant pastor at City Reformed here, and I want to welcome you again if you are new. Uh, we are glad that you're with us. We've been preaching through 1 Peter. We're on page 6 of your bulletin, so if you have a Bible, you're welcome to pull it out. Otherwise, the text is printed there. Um, so we've been preaching through 1 Peter, and now we're to chapter 3. Verses 1 to 7, and you can say this is the third uh, sermon of a sub-series in Peter um, about freedom in Christ. How do we live as people who are free in Christ? So the first week we looked at the government, the second week uh, servants and masters, and this follows the text, and then today is wives and husbands. So that is uh, our topic and... What the text is about, let me read the word, and then our response will be, thanks be to God. Beginning uh, in verse 1. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and your pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children. If you do good, do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray and ask God to direct the preaching of this word. Lord, now we, uh, we come uh, to your word. We thank you for the word we uh, just heard and pray, Father, that you would cause it now to, to be moved deep inside of us. Lord, that we would, as in every word that we hear, uh, Father, grow to more greatly love you to love your word as we receive both the challenges and the joy uh, that your word brings. Lord, use uh, even my weakness uh, today, Father, to preach to your glory and pray, Father, uh, that you would bless this word. We ask in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, I want to recognize a few things straight away here. Um, First, I want to recognize that many of you here today, we even have visitors are coming from different backgrounds, and uh, you could be coming from backgrounds where you've had this passage abused in your life. And I want to recognize that um, and, and tell you that I won't be able to answer all of your questions in this sermon, unless you want to stay here a long time. Um, but we have a time after the service called Grill the Preacher, where you can come and you can ask some of those lingering questions. It's going to be over there in the nursery room. So I would encourage you, if you're, if you're new or if you've been here a while and you have questions, feel free to come and ask them. 
uh, in, over there and you can come and speak with me. Second, um, I must preach the words written on this page. I must preach these words. Um, that is my priority. Not giving an example to every possible scenario or thing that could happen in your marriage. Um, but I want to also recognize that there are real struggles in our marriages, in this church. And if you are having a real struggle in your marriage, I would, again, highly encourage you to either meet with me, maybe you need pastoral counseling, um, or from any, to any of our pastors or our elders, or if you feel comfortable also coming to the time and you could ask a couple of questions and grill the preachers. That it does not end here, is my point. Uh, thirdly, my hope is that at the end of this sermon, you will see what is biblical marriage. Biblical marriage. That what the Bible says about uh, marriage, not what maybe 1950s traditionalism says, you know, wife has to stay at home, husband has to work, or 2019 marriage. Um, what I hope is that we will see what is Christian marriage. And if you're a skeptic here, I think that uh, you might have a certain picture of what you think marriage is. And I, I want us to see the, here that Peter pushes way past that. Peter pushes wives and husbands towards the gospel of grace in a way from fear. You are free in Christ. That's the context of our passage today. You're free as you submit to the government, as a, an employee might submit to an employer, a servant and a master, and as a a wife and a husband. You are free in Christ, but you are free to live as Christ calls you to live. A godly marriage, a godly wife, a godly husband is empowered by their freedom in Christ. So there's three areas that Jesus empowers us in our marriage today. and These are my three points. We're set free to love difficult spouses. We're set free to remain hopeful and we are set free to honor our differences in marriage. So to love difficult spouses, to remain hopeful, to honor our differences. Let's look at difficult spouses. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word. So the word likewise here means, as I said earlier, that context is important. It's relating to the last thing he was talking about. These three institutes that we can, that we have freedom to submit under the government, the workplace, and here in marriage. The word likewise is also important because you can't read this passage without having read verse 16. That's why I kept it in italics for you. That you are to live as people who are free. Jesus sets you free for a purpose. Free to serve and love as he loved you. Not to do whatever we want to do. Now here the word subject. To be subject is the same in Greek. And as I said this last week as submit. And I'll, I'll just remind you what we said last week. That submission is not surrender. Submission is not surrender. You surrender your life to Christ alone. You submit your life to him. And then if you're married... To your husband. Clear picture of submission, if you say, what is submission, is, is to look at Jesus. And I think a great example is Mark 14, where Jesus enters into prayer before he's going to be crucified, the Garden of Gethsemane. 
And he pleads with the Father. And he says, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Although Jesus is same in substance, equal in power and in glory with the Father, he submits his will to the Father's will. And yet, even Jesus voices his will to the Father. Wives, submission is not your silence. Submission is not your silence. In fact, if you're constantly silent, never giving your opinion to your husband, I would argue that you are actually failing in your submission. Some of you here struggle with passivity, and you need to hear that submission is not silence. Now, although submission is not silence, sometimes even the kindest words said in the right context to a disobedient husband will fall short. That's the context here. Look, the text says, verse 1, that some husbands do not obey the word. Some of the wives Peter is writing to either have unbelieving husbands or disobedient husbands. And maybe, maybe you're here and you are this wife. Maybe you have a disobedient husband and you could preach the gospel perfectly and they would still reject it. But, Peter says, they may not reject your respectful and pure conduct. So let me parse these words quickly for you. Respectful in Greek is phobos. It's from the Greek word for fear. In scripture, if you fear God, uh, you're relating to him as his position requires. You are saying, I am creature and you are creator. So to respect a husband is to allow him to fill his role as God created him. As leader of the household, even if he is acting disobediently. Pure conduct has holiness language attached to it, meaning the wife's actions must reflect the word of God. In this way, the text says that you can win him. You're showing your disobedient husband Christ with your actions. Now, Peter never says you cannot preach the gospel to your husband. In fact, you must preach the gospel. But, and I want you to hear this, If your actions do not reflect the word you preach, your message is injured. I injured my ribs two weeks ago uh, from a foolish thing that I did. I was uh, not willing to move a lawnmower and just move it, and I slanted a ladder over top of it. Too steep. I climbed up on it, was working on the ceiling, it slipped out from under me. I landed on my side on the lawnmower. I thought I had broken my ribs. Um, luckily, they were just badly bruised, so I'm not wheezing as I talk to you. Um, my point is, is, if you have gracious words with impure conduct and disrespect, your gospel message will be injured. It will slip out from under you. Now, this is true for all of us, right, who hope to share the gospel but it's especially true in marriage. Verse 3 reads in the Greek, word from word, and I think it's important that you hear this, do not be the external braiding of your hair 
in wearing of jewelry or the putting on of clothes, the adorning. That's the word from word in the Greek. Sometimes in the Greek, the, word, uh, the words are placed at the end of the sentence and they give them emphasis. And so here the word that is emphasized in this sentence is adorning. This is not a prohibition to wear pretty things. Don't read it that way. This is identity language. Allowing jewels or braids or clothing to be your adorning is to forget that you are adorned in Christ. And Peter says your identity is that hidden spirit inside of you who challenges that outward appearance. You are not your appearance. You are Christ in you. 2,000 years ago, wives struggled with this. And it is worse now. It has not gotten better. 2,000 years later, wives still let their appearance be their identity. Sadly, the rampant, rampant spread of pornography, glamour magazines, Photoshop women and advertisements is discipling the women and the wives of our church. We are all being discipled by something. Whether it's God's word or the words of Vogue or People magazine or Cosmopolitan, women and men letting lies from society take the place of what God says you are. And it breaks my heart because I see the godly women of City Reformed, imperishable beauty, fighting lies of the media. Men and women, both of you, do not let the porn industry disciple your hearts. Do not let our culture disciple your hearts. Let God tell you who you are. God gives us the picture in Isaiah of this adorning. He says, this is what it looks like. This is Isaiah 61.10. He says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exalt in God, for he has clothed me with the garments of my salvation. He has covered me with the robes of his righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with jewels, let your jewelry be the clothing of God's righteousness. Let your adorning be the garments of his salvation. You see, a wife who is free in Christ does not let fear keep her from speaking with her husband. A wife who is free in Christ is not ruled by cultural icons around her or her appearance. A wife who is free in Christ has her identity firm in the foundation of her faith in Jesus. In verse 4, God says, which in God's sight is very precious. Wives, are there categories I just listed that rule over you? Is there some place in your life that rules over your hearts other than Jesus? I have great news for you in Christ Jesus. Verse 16, he has set you free. How can you submit to a husband who is acting a fool? Because your identity is as God's precious daughter. 
God doesn't care if you wear jewelry or if you don't wear jewelry. What is precious to God is your faith. If you are clothed in Him and not those other things. Peter goes on here and gives us examples of women who have placed their hope in God. And I want to look at what he has to say. This is my second point, freedom to remain hopeful. Verse 5, for this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. So I love the the order in which Peter lays this sentence out, out. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God. The holy women he references here. They don't have their hope primarily in their husbands. Their hope is not in their husband's ability to lead or his attentiveness or his compassion. It's not even in his godliness. Peter says their hope was in God. This hope in God allowed them to submit to their own husbands. I want you to notice that Peter actually makes the effort here to say their own husbands. He could have said their husbands. There's a Greek form for that. That means that you don't submit to anyone else's husband. You submit to your own husband. Actually, very consistently, we read in Ephesians and Timothy and Titus and Romans uh, and, and some other epistles, very clear realms of authority that God has laid out for us. They're listed here in, in uh, two, chapter 2, 13 to 3, 7, the government, the workplace, and the home. We have to be careful to preach God's word as he gives it, neither less, neither more. To take the apostles' writing and to apply it outside these realms of authority that he has given to us, outside the government, outside the workplace, outside the home, would be to add to God's word. Do not do it. Women submit to their own husbands. Single women do not submit to single men. Dating women do not submit to their boyfriends. They are not married. It is no mistake that Peter writes submitting to their own husbands. Now as an example, he gives us the instance of Sarah and Abraham. Where in Genesis 18.2, she calls him Lord. Which is like today saying, sir, or or Mr., um, like if you've watched Pride and Prejudice, uh, Mr. Darcy, right? Uh, But let me ask the question, why is Peter referencing Sarah here? Sarah was not the picture. Think back to her story. She was not the picture of perfect submission. I want to remind you that at one point in her life, she totally abandons God's promise that he would bless her with a child. And what she does is she takes a concubine named Hagar, tells her husband to sleep with the concubine so that they produce uh, Ishmael, uh, their illegitimate child, who then God would go on to say, that is not the heir that I was giving to you. Um, So not only was she not submitting to Abraham, but she defied God's promise. Likewise, if we think about Abraham, he was not the perfect a picture of a gracious husband, was he? The man gave his wife to Pharaoh to save his own life. So why is Peter choosing Sarah and Abraham? Well, in chapter 18, in Genesis, where he's quoting from, 
I want you to remember what's happening. She's 99 years old. She hasn't received the promise yet. Um, she, has, she doesn't have her baby. And, and God promises to her yet again. He says, remember my covenant. Next year, next year, you will have this child. And she laughs at God. God says to Abraham, why is Sarah laughing at me? And the text says, Genesis 18, 15, but she denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. It's no mistake that Peter goes on to write, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightful. How are we her children if we do not fear? Well, I want you to remember that word we talked about, fabas, fear, respect. It's the same word. It asks us the question, who is it that you fear? Do you fear God or do you fear man? Do you fear God or do you fear your husband? Do you fear God or your looks? God or pleasing people? God or things that are frightening? The point is that we who fear God are the descendants of Sarah. Through Jesus. On the one hand, Sarah's a great example of submission. I mean, God calls Abraham to wander through the wilderness for years and years, not totally knowing where they are going, looking for the promised land. He brings them through a famine in Egypt, and he makes them wait nearly 100 years to have this promise fulfilled. And all the while, as far as we can tell, Sarah is there with Abraham. So on the one hand, she's a great example. But on the other, there were more than a few times God had to redirect them because of their fear. Fear which let creep into her heart and turn her away from God's work. I believe he uses Sarah as an example because God works to bring about his purposes even despite her. Despite her fear, despite her good submission, God fulfills his promise even though Sarah laughs at him. There are a lot of things that we could fear in marriage because marriage is a vulnerable place. I mean, to commit your life to someone, a fallible man or woman, knowing that they will fail you, that's a fearful thing. Yet marriage is God's design for a man and a woman. And if it is God's design, then just as Abraham and Sarah were surrounded by a promise, so your marriage is surrounded by by a promise. We call it a covenant. God made a covenant. He made him a relational promise with Abraham and Sarah. And if you're married, then God brings you and your spouse into a covenant with him as well. And I have great news for you. God will fulfill his promises to you. God will fulfill his promises to you in your marriage, even despite your mistakes. Even despite maybe your poor submission or husband's bad leading, for you are surrounded by the covenant of God. If your faith is in God, he will fulfill his promises to you. And this means that you are called away from fear. Do not fear. Peter gives us the example of Sarah to point us to Christ. Married couples, Christ has set you free from fear. Christ has set you free to love each other as he loved you. We live today with a greater promise than Abraham had then. We live in the new covenant. 
We live in the grace of Christ. So let me ask you, wives and husbands, does fear rule your marriage? Or does Christ? I can give you a couple just real quick diagnostic questions for you. Um, and they're very simple. Do you spend regular time reading the Word of God with your spouse? Do you spend regular time in prayer with your spouse? If you are not doing these basic things, these first things, then most likely fear is ruling your marriage. The temptation to let fear rule our marriages undermines the God we worship. And I'll say it again. You are free in Christ. Do not let fear rule your marriage, both spouses. But especially here, women must not worship the God of fear. You must worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, by the way, um, that's what I believe uh, Peter is referencing when he talks about a gentle and a quiet spirit. If you've wondered what that means, Galatians 5 tells us uh, that the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, right? We, we all ought to strive for gentleness. A quiet spirit isn't silence. A quiet spirit is a spirit that has been calmed from fear. It is a spirit that has been comforted of the peace of Christ. Does the Spirit characterize you in your marriage? It is only possible if your hope is correctly placed in Jesus. In Christ, He has set you free to love your spouses and love the differences in your spouse. This takes us to our third point. Uh, can we honor those differences? So likewise, in verse 7, means uh, the same thing it meant in verse 3. It means husbands are under the freedom, the context of freedom in Christ. Likewise, husbands, live with your wife in an understanding way. The word understanding way, way literally means according to knowledge. It's from the, the Greek word gnosis, or gnostic. I find it intriguing here that the first thing Peter pushes husbands to do is to know their wives. To understand their wives. To spend time asking their wives questions. Their wife's questions. To spend time listening to them. Making sure the way, the path of that marriage is understanding. So I'm doing premarital counseling with a couple right now. They're preparing for marriage. And, and it amazes me. I got their permission to share this. It amazes me to see how bad we are at listening in a relationship. Amazes me. Now, I'm not saying I'm not that much better. But listening really is a skill. It's a skill you got to learn. I had this couple practice reflective listening, and it was the man's job to listen to his fiance. And I asked him to make sure that he didn't just listen to the words she said, but I wanted him to listen to the feelings and the emotions in the words. He listened, and he reflected back to, to her the words perfectly, mechanically. And he missed every feeling. And he missed every emotion in the word. Husbands, you may understand the words that come out of the mouths of your wives. But if you miss the feelings, you have not understood. 
To live in an understanding way with a wife is to give her space to feel heard, to express her opinions without judgment or prejudice. Now, just like wives do not have a monopoly on gentleness, husbands don't get a monopoly on listening. Wives, you can also listen to your husbands. But here Paul says part of leading your wife, being the husband, is making sure she is understood. Husbands, you are free in Christ to give space to listen to your wife, to have her share her opinions. Peter goes on to say, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. Now, there's two important uh, concepts here. First is understanding the word honor. Second, the word weaker vessel. Uh, the word honor is the same word that's used in chapter 1 of 1 Peter, where he talks about uh, your faith as precious. It's the same word. And it makes sense if you think about it. We honor something that we hold precious. We honor something we value. The word vessel is the same word that Paul uses in Romans 9 when he says... Um, does not the potter have the right to make out of one lump some vessels for honorable use and some for dishonorable use? The image there is a vessel of pottery, something that is molded or shaped or can be changed into various types of pottery, different things, different forms. So weaker vessel here does not mean that men are superior and women are inferior. It means that your precious wife is different than you husbands. So honor those differences. I struggle with this, and I'll freely admit it. Sometimes I get frustrated because I expect Camden, my wife, to be me. And she is not me. And when I think about it, I'm really glad that she's not me and that she's who she is. Because that's who I fell in love with. I love the differences about my wife. I love that she's different than me. I wasn't expecting to get emotional on this point. Um, husbands, do you value? Do you honor? Do you hold precious that God has made your wife different than you? Or do you try to make her like yourself? Again, Christ has set you free to honor those differences. She doesn't have to be you. Second, the word weaker means that God has placed her in a more vulnerable position in your marriage. If God has called you to lead your wife, your, your wives, then submitting is a vulnerable position. Are you leading with Christ-like humility or are you domineering? Again, look at Jesus. I love pointing to Jesus as my examples. He's the best example we have. Look at the way that Jesus put himself in the place of humility. Jesus told uh, Peter, Peter who wrote this epistle, he said to Peter, I must wash you. And Jesus wrapped a towel around his waist. He got down on his knees and he cleaned Peter's feet. Does service, husbands, define your leadership? Husbands, if you think that, the, that leading your family is the place of prominence, I have bad news for you. It's not. Leadership is gently, humbly taking your wife's feet and scrubbing off the muck. It's dying for your wife. 
That's why Peter can say these last words, so your prayers may not be hindered. If you put yourself, think about it, if you put yourself as a ruler over your wife, trying to make her like yourself, your prayers will be hindered. Have you ever noticed that, that we struggle to pray for people that we judge in our hearts? Look, the world around us is pushing us to constantly view men and women as the same, as husbands and wives as the same. And the Bible pushes us to honor, to view as precious the unique ways that God has made a husband and a wife in his image beautiful, equal, and different. Peter says they are heirs with you of the grace of life. Husbands and wives are as equal as we think of Christ. Jesus is equal with the Father, same in substance, equal in power and glorious as our confession. Husbands and wives are spending eternity with Christ in heaven. They are created equal in beauty and majesty, but they are distinct in the way that God forms them. Peter says if you lose that distinction, if you forget that your wife is equally made in the image of God, but distinctly different than you, you will judge her. And your prayers will be hindered because of it. Freedom in Christ means that I'm secure enough in my relationship with Jesus to look at my wife and adore her for the way that God made her. If you're a skeptic here, I, don't, I didn't have time, as you could see, to answer all the questions about what is gender, what is marriage, what's the biblical view of marriage, because my focus was this text. Um, but I hope you see that the message given here is not 1950s traditional marriage. It is not 2019. It is a picture of the gospel. It's a picture of a husband loving his wife with gracious understanding, serving her, putting her, her, putting her needs before him. It's a wife respecting a husband, letting him lead in a family, uh, yet remembering that submission is not your silence. Christian marriage is a picture of the gospel. It's a picture of the way we see Jesus come, serve the church, give his life for her. In response, we, the church, follow him. But the key is that we do it freely. We do it freely. No one forces us. No one makes us. Think about Jesus. Jesus freely gave up his life. In John 10, he says this. He says, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and the authority to take it up again. This command I have received from my Father. Husbands and wives, Christ has set you free to love difficult spouses, to remain hopeful, to honor your differences. Let's pray.